That's great. I was supposed to get here a little bit earlier and I found uh, Gail Bird and she was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And um, she gave me the order of service for this morning. And I noticed that Billy Joel was singing. Is that right? I thought, boy, they go from Steve Green to Billy Joel. That's progressive. And uh, that's great. Joel just asked how he can introduce me. I said, well, he goes, I want I want to act like like we've really known each other for a long. I said, oh, no, say whatever you want. And uh, Billy Joel, that was good. Both left handed. It's interesting. Good to be with you today um, as we start our series on. Uh, well, I guess I was here Monday to hear Dave DeFreeze, and I'm glad I have the privilege to be with you this morning and uh, to continue in the series on the local church or God's church. And um, it's good for me to be back because I graduated here in 1985. And as I was thinking this week, I was recalling uh, uh, just a, a very embarrassing situation for me. Um, it was a day just like today, a beautiful day, isn't it? And uh, went into the locker room over here and... Uh, Opened my locker and I put my stirrups on, put the baseball pants on, the baseball jersey, the baseball uh, undershirt. And I, it was a great day to play a baseball game. I played here at the Masters College, went out to the field, and we were having a big day, a big game that day. It was going to determine uh, where we were stood in the standings, kind of like the soccer game yesterday, right? Read that in the paper this morning, tough tie. Um, you know what I liked about that, though? It's okay if I just share for a second. I liked the fact that the soccer team wasn't happy with the tie. Is that right? I mean, you don't, you don't go out to play a game to tie a game. And uh, I, the guys felt, as I was reading the paper, that it was just hard to play a game that long and that hard and exert that much energy to tie. And I, I thought, that's good, because you want to have a, a winning competitive spirit, even in the things of the Lord, and to go out and play your hardest. And so we had a baseball game out here, and it was a big game. And uh, the, all my buddies in the dorm were there because I was an RA. And uh, it was about the bottom of the sixth inning, and I was up, and I think we were up by about a run or two. We needed a couple extra runs. And uh, the pitcher, you know, he was going, and I was batting, and he was bringing the pitches in. And the count was about three and one. And uh, there was runners on first and second. And uh, I thought, boy, this guy's got to come in with a fastball, right, Totemeyer? I mean, three and one, right? First and second, he's down by two runs. You're not going to put another guy on with a base on balls. So I thought, I'm going to sit back on the fastball. You, girls, you know what that means, to sit back. That just means like, kind of like you're back, waiting for it. And, and, he, and he threw the ball. He threw the ball. And guys, if you've played baseball, you can identify with this. So they used to say that Ted Williams, who's in the Hall of Fame now, could see the baseball so well as it was coming down to the plate that he could see the seams and which way the seams were spinning. And consequently, he was a Hall of Famer and one of the greatest hitters. And the ball was coming to me, and I kid you not, it looked like a volleyball. It looked like an absolute volleyball, because I was, girls, I was sitting back, waiting for the fastball, and it looked like a volleyball, and I was just, I was like, I just wanted to step forward and hit, and I waited, and I waited, and boom! Now, if you guys played baseball, you know when you hit the ball good, right? It's just this thud in the bat, it's like a crack, and the ball just took off. Now, when I played baseball here, we didn't have the, the privilege of having that green fence out there. So if you hit a ball far, it was called an inside the park. Now, girls, that, that means I wasn't like playing in a park. An inside the park, <laughs> an inside the park home run. I'm sorry, there's a lot of girls who know that, isn't that true? 
we didn't have a fence, so I hit the ball. It was probably like by where the, the, the goal, maybe the soccer goal is on the other side. Of the, it just rocketed off the bat. And then the goal is, because there's no fence, is to run around the bases as fast as you can and thus end up. So I just took off. I thought, this thing's out of here. And I just took off and I went around first base and I was just moving as fast as I could. And has it ever happened to you? You're running so fast and you lose your balance. <laughs> has that happened to you? Running so fast and then you don't know what to do and you're stumbling like this and you're going down and your brain is saying, pick me up. And I, I, as I rounded first, that happened to me. And I was, as I was beginning to hit the bag on second, I was beginning to get my feet right so I could kick off second and go to third. Well, it never happened. Because as I was going down, I could not get my balance and I was just running as fast as I could. And when I hit the bag, the guys were still running after the ball. By this time, it was over by the side of Grace Baptist. That str- I don't know where it was. Uh, uh, the fish I caught was this big. It was, it was, and so I was just flying. And I hit the bag and I just went down, face first, right in the dirt. And as I went down, dirt went in my nose, it went in my ears, it went in my jersey, it was in my pants. I was cleaning dirt out of my ear for about a week. It went into my socks and I slid about 15, it was like deep shortstop by the time I came to a a stop. And as I got up, they were retrieving the ball and threw it back in, and so I had to walk back to second base with a stand-up, actually a face-first, double. And that wasn't the worst of it, because I was just kind of smiling, and I had cuts everywhere, and I, as I brushed the dirt off, I looked over into the stands, and there's all my friends, and there's Gail Bird's son, Kelly, just on the ground. <laughs> and they were just cracking up. Now, what does that have to do with the local church? At, no, it does, it does, it does. Because I was reading through a medical journey, uh, journal, not a journal, but a journal a couple months, well, a few years after that, and I began to find, find out why I fell. Do you know what part of your body that your balance is related to? It's in your ear. And I thought, Patty, look at this. The reason I fell at second base that day is it was related to my ear. And I thought, how could I stumble and fall because of my ear? And I began to study this journal about the, the ear and all that it does. And I wanted to read you a little bit about it, okay? Listen to this. How you keep your balance. Your brain is constantly monitoring, monitoring positions and movements of your head and body so that you are able to keep your balance. In each inner ear is a structure called the labrian which monitors the positions and movements of the head by means of three semicircular canals. Each canal is at a right angle to the other two, so which, whatever way you move your head, if you nod it or if you shake it or you tilt it back or forward, one or more of the semicircular canals detects the movement and relays the information to the brain. Fascinating. The brain coordinates the data with more information from your eyes and from your muscles in your body and limbs to assess your exact position and the movements you need to make to keep your balance. It's amazing. Then it went on to talk about how we hear just through the avenue of the ear. It says a sound starts as the disturbance of the air, 
which produces sound waves. The visible ear helps, helps to channel those waves down the outer ear canal so that when they hit the eardrum, they make it vibrate. The vibrations pass through the hammer, the anvil, the stirrup, and the oval window into the fluid in the, is it cochlea? Is that right? I was right. Okay. Tiny hairs that line the cochlea change the vibrations in the fluid into nerve impulses. It's amazing. They change it into nerve impulses, which are transmitted to the brain along the auditory nerve. Most sounds reach your ear through that route, but this kind of hearing is supplemented by vibrations conducted through the bones of the skull to the inner ear. You hear your own voice mainly through the secondary kind of hearing. As I begin to look and study this ideal of the ear as it relates to balance, and not only to how you and I hear, even as you hear me this morning, I begin to think of the body. And I begin to think of all that the body is made up. And again, I'm talking about a physical body. And I begin to look at the unity. And I begin to look at the diversity. And I begin to look at the harmony of a physical body. And when you begin to look at the anatomy, begin to look at hands, even our little baby, we have a little baby girl. She's uh, almost seven months now. And my mom is home taking care of her today. My wife and I came. And I remember when she was first born. She came out, she came out like perfect with perfect little hands and perfect little toes. The only thing I thought was a little strange is about 10 seconds after she came out, you know, I'm in, in the room, which is quite an event for me. And she came out and I looked at her ears. She looked like they had Spock ears. It's really funny, but she was okay. I said, Patty, she looks great, but something's wrong with her ears. And Patty got a little nervous, but, but it wasn't. I think just, just her ears were a little messed out. That was a tough trip there. And, um, but I looked at this body and I thought, this is an amazing, this is an am- a miracle. Now, when you talk about a body, the New Testament frequently speaks about this concept of the body, right, of Jesus Christ, which is his local church. It frequently is referred to as the body of what? Christ, with Jesus Christ being the what? The head. Colossians. 118, it says that Jesus, speaking of Jesus, that he is head of the body, which is the church. Also speaking there in Colossians 124, Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is what? The church. Ephesians 122. Turn there. That's a great passage. Ephesians 122, speaking about this concept of the church of Jesus Christ as the body of Christ. Ephesians 1.22, it tells us there that He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is what? His body. So when we talk about the concept of a local church, the New Testament speaks frequently of the ideal of our physical body, and it makes that analogy there to the body of Christ. Now, obviously, obviously, when Scripture speaks of the church as the body of Christ, it speaks figuratively or metaphorically. Now, biblical thought often expresses metaphors and realistic languages, language for us to understand. Israel is called the scattered sheep in Jeremiah 50. 
Christ is called the door. Now, obviously, you understand the point. He's not a door uh, in the sense that metaphorically he is the way to salvation. He is called the vine in John chapter 15. The church is even called a pure virgin in 2 Corinthians 11 too. Now, those are not to be interpreted literally. You understand that. These are simply figures describing certain facets of the local church. And this morning, we just want to look at three truths, okay? Three truths that are drawn from the analogy of the relationship of members in a natural body to that of members of the church of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. We want to draw three truths this morning from the Word of God, from the analogy of our relationship to members in the natural body and that of members of the church of Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll look at three truths this morning. We want to look at first how the body is unified. Secondly, the body is diversified. And thirdly, we see in the body of Jesus Christ that we are to be dependent upon each other. There's unity, there's diversity, and there's dependence upon each other. And Paul uses here the metaphor, the illustration of a natural body to communicate the things of Jesus Christ, and in particular, this ideal of the local church that we're studying. First, the body is unified. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. It says there, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, And all the members of the body, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. In other words, just one body. In other words, it's a physical body is made up of hands and arms and legs and a heart and all that. It's made up in many members. We still look at a body as complete as one body. And that's simply the analogy that Paul's making here in verse 12. He says, even though there's many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body and so also is Christ. In other words, there's unity in the body of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, you know that a physical being must be one and you cannot put the parts of a body into a heap and tell that heap simply to do something. You can't throw an arm over there, a leg over there and just say, do something. Now, when I was young... Guys, I don't know if you had this experience. I had a little sister growing up, and she often liked to play with Barbies. You ever have that? And girls, maybe you had that little playhouse. Remember where you situated everything in the playhouse? And here was the dining room over here and the little plates. Well, you know what I used to do to my sister when she wasn't there? Is I'd come in and I'd take her Barbie and I'd rip the limbs off. Guys, did you ever do that? I'd rip the you know, spin her neck around like 50 times and then just pop it out of socket. Pull the limb off here and the limb off here and put it in every little different part of the house. So that when she came back, it was like a, a horror picture. And I, I would get in trouble. You know, I get, my mom would come in and get me and, you know, that's wrong. Don't do that. I, okay, I'm sorry, you know. But when you look at a physical, you can't do that to a physical body, can you? You can't just pull the limbs off and expect it to operate. And be unified. And Paul's making that analogy. He's saying you can't just pull limbs off and separate people out of the body of Christ and expect there to be unity. 
The body is made up, get this, of many members functioning together in unity and in harmony. It's functioning together in unity and in harmony. Have you ever tried to be two places at once? And I've often wanted to be two places at once. I've often wished I could be one place and another place at the same time. In fact, that day usually comes on Super Bowl Sunday when the evening service is coming and everybody's kind of looking at each other. Russ, has that ever happened to you? Never, ne- never. The evening service is coming and, you know, it's, I remember that game, the, the 49ers and the Bengals were, you know, it's going down to the wire and you're just all kind of looking at each other. And I've often wanted to be in two places at once, but you can't do that. Because when you look at a body, I can't physically be in two places at once. And you know, when as Paul talks here about the church, he's saying even though there's many members, you're a unit. You're one body. And there's to be unity in that. In fact, look at verse 20 of chapter 12. He says, but now there are many members, but one body. And this one body, there is unity and harmony because all the members are under the same head and part of the same body. And who's the head? Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, look over there, Romans chapter 12, speaking about this concept of unity, speaking about this idea that there's unity in the body of Christ. Verse 5, he says, So we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. He says we function together and see even, I mean, if I ask for a show of hands, how many different local churches are even represented here? Many. But Paul's point here is you are one in the body of Christ. Now we can go in and I could say there's a universal church at large and there's also a particular local church. But I want you to understand you have unity in the body of Christ. In fact, Ephesians 4.3 says that you are to diligently preserve, to preserve, to keep that unity in the Spirit. And you say, how do we keep that unity? Just two things. One is love. And you say, how do we keep unified in the body of Christ? How is there to be unity even though there's many different members? Well, you're to love each other. Jesus said in John 13.34, a new commandment I give to you that what? That you love one another. See, you preserve unity in your local church as you preserve love for one another, as you diligently pursue that with one another. And you know what, you guys? That's hard, isn't it? Because we're born into this world, born into what? Sin. And sin wants to self-gratify ourselves, and it leads towards self-autonomy, which means self-rule, and we really don't like to come underneath each other and serve each other and love each other. And when you walk into the local church, are you even aware that you're called to love other people in that body where you go each Sunday? Or do you just walk in not even knowing why you're there? No, when you walk into your local church, you're there to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And even though you're one member of the body that's made up of that particular local church, you're there to love each other. You're there to give to each other. So instead of walking in the door on Sunday morning, you don't say, here I am. You walk in the door and you say, there you are. And you go to meet somebody else's needs and you give to them by reaching out and by loving them. The second way you can show unity is not only through love, but secondly, through humility. Through humility. See, unity is ruined when we think higher of ourselves than we ought to. 
When we begin to have an inflated opinion of ourselves and no longer begin to meet needs and no longer begin to love each other, and we look, we pride enters into our heart and unity is destroyed. And when we talk about the concept of local church, some of you have come out of those churches just with the deacon boards and all they do is fight. And all they do is just have schisms and argue and talk about different issues and you wonder where the love is. But you can't look at that. You've got to see what the Bible calls us to. And the Bible says in the body of Christ there's to be unity. And in the body of Christ there's to be no difference with race, anything, color, any of that. Because there's to be unity in the body of Christ and we are to serve each other through humility. As Philippians 2 says, not, you know, don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also what? For the interest of others. How many times do you walk into church and say, I'm coming here to give? Now, I know you're there to worship, but how many times do you walk into the church on Sunday morning thinking, I need to preserve unity here. I not only need to reach out and love towards my brothers and sisters, but I need to go the extra mile and I need to walk in humility, putting other people above myself and not thinking so highly of myself. See, we ruin unity when there's carnality because we lift ourselves up in pride. And if you want to preserve that, you'll be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit by showing love and humility. Secondly, not only there's unity in the body of Christ, but the same passage in 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, it's really amazing, that there's diversity in the body. Diversity in the body of Jesus Christ. Not only do we have unity, but we have diversity. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, and I love this, it says, for the body is not one member, but what? But many. It's not just one member, it's many. Look at verses 15 through 20. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of this of the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, verse 16, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. He says there's diversity in the body of Christ. What if the whole physical body, if we use that analogy, what if all you guys, as I speak up here and I'm up, raised up, what if you were all a bunch of noses? I mean, have you ever thought if you just a physical body? I mean, that would be something on the twilight zone, wouldn't it? Or if you guys were just one big giant ear. Just, mm, or if you were just one big giant head walking around. Mm, or how about better this? If you were just one big giant foot. Just walking along. I mean, we think that's ludicrous. That's ludicrous because the body's made up in many members. Do you understand Paul's point there? He says there's diversity in the body. And would you take a note of a couple of things in this, these scriptures here? Verse 17 says the members vary in function. It says if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? They vary in function. And you, as a member of Jesus Christ's body, you have spiritual gifts that vary in function. Well, you notice that they not only vary in function in verse 17, but verse 22 tells us that they vary in strength. 
It says, on the contrary, it is much truer that the member of the body, which seems to be weaker, what? Are necessary. They vary in strength. You know, you think, I mean, you didn't wake up this morning thanking God for your liver, did you? I mean, you took care of the outer, external stuff. But if you didn't have a liver, you would die. See, but it's usually the stuff externally. But here in verse 22, it says it varies in strength. It says that in verse 23 that the members vary in honor. Look there, it says, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. In other words, the things sometimes that we make a bigger deal on, on the physical body externally, we often do that in the church of Jesus Christ. We often make other things more important and raise up certain gifts more than other gifts. And in the book of Corinthians, as we look here, Paul addressed that issue of diversity because the Corinthians wanted to elevate certain men, didn't they? They, It says in 1 Corinthians 2 that certain people were in the church saying what? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And even the spiritual ones said what? I'm of Christ. And see, we do that same thing today. We elevate certain people. And some of you are sitting out there thinking, I'm more important than you because I stand up at this pulpit. Some of you are thinking that Russ Moore is more important than you are in the local church because he's a pastor. Some of you think because John Stead's the elder, the chairman of the elder board at Grace Church that he's more important. And you know what? If you think that, you've bought a bill of goods. Because we no longer at that point begin to understand diversity in the body of Christ. In fact, we do the same thing that the Corinthian church does. And we raise up certain people, maybe who can speak or who take a public office and they're known. But Jesus Christ doesn't say that here through the writer Paul. He says, as we look at a physical body, there's diversity in that body. In fact, we would even put more abundant honor on those things which even seem less important in the Scriptures. And as a pastor, even of our congregation at uh, Grace and the College Department, I tell our people all the time that I am no more important than you. And once you guys, as a student body or as an individual, begin to think that other people are more important than the church so that you take a back seat and a back row and you're not involved in the local church, then we've bought the whole lie of 1 Corinthians 2 where we're lifting up certain people. No. Now, the organizational chart of Christianity is very, very simple. Christ is the head of the body. Now, Scripture speaks of levels of authority, 1 Timothy 5.17, but that is never equated with spiritual superiority. In fact, wouldn't we say that the most vital ministries of the church always include some that are not obvious? In fact, who set this screen up today? See, I'm speaking, and you'll go away and you'll say, Scott Artavana spoke, and he spoke on unity, and he spoke on diversity. But who set up the screen so that we could worship this morning? See? And it's all those things, usually in the context of a local church, that we don't say are important, that Paul says here, through the analogy of a physical body, those are the ones that we're to bestow more abundant honor upon. And yet, when we look at this ideal of diversity, we're like the Corinthian church. We like the upfront gifts. The prophecy, the tongues, the healings. But Paul said, is saying that diversity of gifts is every, everyone, in the diversity of gifts, everyone is important. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. 
I like this. It says, but to each one of you or to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And I think we'll get into that. I think somebody's speaking on spiritual gifts. You have been given a spiritual gift according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And that gift was given to you not for your own self, but it was given to you for the common good that you might benefit other people in the local church. Are you benefiting anybody in the local church? Are you benefiting anybody? Now, each of us are supernaturally gifted in the body of Christ. About a year ago, I had the opportunity to go to the World Olympian Ice Skating Tour. It was after the 88 Olympics and a lot of the skaters were taking a a tour all over the United States and I think some foreign countries as well. And it was just a fun thing. It wasn't really a competition thing. And I was sitting there in my Senate seat. The guy had Senate seats for, you know, and, you know, they bring you the, the Cokes and all the food right to your seat. You don't have to get up and go. It's pretty nice. And we're watching these people ice skate. And they're the best in the world. Remember, like, names by, by the name of, like, Brian Orser? Remember him? He's just skating and I'm just watching him. I thought, boy, his ear's working good, you know. He, he can move. And I'm watching a guy by the name of Brian Botano. He's just amazing just watching him glide across the ice and do flips and axles. And I thought, man, I can't even run second base. They're amazing. And then the girls came out from Canada and then from the USA. But then there was this one girl who came out and she absolutely just outclassed them all. Set foot on the ice. There was just a presence about her. And you looked at this girl and you said she is in a completely different league with these other girls. And as she began to skate, you begin just to watch the grace and begin to watch her move on the ice and you realize that she was even head and shoulders of the quote-unquote professionals. And her name was Katerina Witt. And I begin to watch her and I begin to watch her move and she was just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, in the world... We would say, what a gift. What a talent. She's been, has so much. But you know what? In the body of Christ, you are far more gifted than that. Because you are supernaturally gifted by God when you were placed into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we look at maybe a talent like that, that she can play a sport like that, and we raise her up. But do you know that you've been given a gift? By Jesus Christ to be used in His church. And as 1 Corinthians 12 says, it's been given to you for the common good. And I just want you to know that you're important for the body of Christ. And you're important in your local church. And if you're not helping that local church, do you understand this? You are maiming the body. You're maiming the body. You're crippling the body. Because you are a member of that church. And that church needs you. And it needs you to function in a capacity in whatever way that God has gifted you to do. We are part of a team. Can you imagine a team with 12 quarterbacks on it? I mean, who would hike the ball? I mean, we need to function together and all of you play different parts. Can you imagine if we were out in the soccer game yesterday and everybody wanted to play goalie? And they were all there back playing goalie? No, we got forwards, we got halfbacks, we got fullbacks. And they all play a unique role. And you know what? You play a unique role in your local church. And you're very important in the body of Christ. I think of a guy like Joe John. He's pretty big, isn't he? 
Now, coach, right? Coach isn't going to put Joe John dribbling the ball up. You're not going to bring the ball up court, are you, Joe John? He, he says, I want to. He says, no, he's going to get him under the basket and get the ball to the point guard because the team functions together. Joe John. Isn't that a good name for him? Can you imagine if his name was like Felix? And yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, you look at him, he's like, that's Joe John, you know? A name like Felix just wouldn't go for him. But everybody plays their part, don't they? He's over there laughing. Everybody plays their part, and I want to know what part are you playing? What part? And some of you are thinking, I'm not very important. Some of you are thinking, I am not very important. I'm just a nobody in my local church, and I would challenge you with that kind of thinking. Let me take a quiz with you. Tell me how many of these you can answer. Who taught Martin Luther his theology and inspired his translation of the New Testament? Who visited Dwight L. Moody at the shoe store and spoke to him about Christ? Who worked alongside and encouraged the great pastor Harry Ironside as his associate pastor? Let me ask you this. Who was the wife of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? There's probably some guys are out there going, Mrs. Spurgeon. No. I mean, you know about her. I mean, behind every good man is a good wife. Who was the elderly woman who prayed faithfully for Billy Graham for over 20 years? Who was it that financed William Carey's ministry to India? Who refreshed the Apostle Paul in the Roman dungeon as he wrote his letter to Timothy? Who helped Charles Wesley get underway as a composer of the many hymns that he has written? Let me ask you this. Who taught G. Campbell Morgan, who was a famous preacher, his expository techniques in the pulpit? Let me ask you this. Who were the parents of the godly and gifted prophet Daniel? Let me ask you this. Who was it that led godly Dr. Bob Provost to the Lord? So you don't know. How well? Could you get any of those right? Could you get any of those right? Did you get 50%? And before you excuse the inability maybe to answer those questions by calling the quiz trivia, you better stop and think that it had, that if it wasn't for these unknown people, maybe those nobodies, there would be a huge chunk of church history that would be missing and a lot of life would have been, would not have been impacted. Nobodies. Nobody's. And yet they make a significant dent in the cause for Christ because of their faithful witness and testimony. I loved what Jim Elliott, who was the martyred missionary, as he, in the, and he gave the gospel to the Aka Indians. I love what he once called missionaries. He said they're a bunch of nobodies trying to exalt somebody. So don't mistake anonymous for unnecessary. Otherwise, the whole body gets crippled, even paralyzed, or at best terribly dizzy as the majority of the members of the body work very hard to pull off what it takes. So we need each other. And I, if I could say anything to you this morning, you're important and you play a part and you're a member of the body and that body needs you. You're thinking, me? Yes, you. Have you ever heard of these great people? In the Christian faith, in fact, for you history buffs out there, tell me what century these men came from. Have you ever heard of Junius? How about Andronicus? How about Ampliatus? Urbanus? Artavanus? 
No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Junius, Andronicus, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Stachys, Tryphonea, Tryphusa, Persis, Asyncretus, Petrobas. What, what century of church history do those men and women come from? They don't come from any century. Do you know where they are? They're in Romans chapter 16. They're in Romans chapter 16. And if we took the time to go back there, you would find that each one of those people listed and many more listed personally ministered with the Apostle Paul and he thanked them for their ministry. But see, we raise up a guy like Paul, the Apostle Paul. We say he's it. And you know, if it wasn't for these people making a dent in the church with what God given, had given them to do, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I'm wondering, what part will you play in the body of Christ? What part will you play? It's the proper working of each individual part of the body of Christ that is very, very important. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Let, let me further illustrate this on diversity. That each of you are important and that each of you must play your part. Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite passages. Verse 11 says that He gave some as apostles... Some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And this is all couched on that ideal of unity in chapter 4, verse 3. So God wants there to be unity in the church. He says, I want you to have so much unity that I'm going to give you gifted men, verse 11, that there might be unity in the body of Christ, okay? So He gave apostles and prophets. Now, we would believe, according to Ephesians 2.20 and Ephesians 3.5, that the apostles and prophets passed away, that the apostles were people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, who visually saw Christ, who walked with Christ, who were with Christ. They gave us the doctrine. You can understand the need for prophets there or for the gift of prophecy we would even say because in the New Testament church they had no canon as of such no written record and so many times they were going off the prophetical utterance given by those prophets but once we got our canon of scripture the apostles and prophets were, were ceased to exist and now we end up today with what we call evangelist and pastor teachers and what's their purpose? And men, if you're going into ministry, what's your purpose? Look at verse 12. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. I love that word equipping. It's the word kartartismos. And it literally means to set or to mend a broken bone. And it was used here in, in the time of Christ to speak of setting a bone that had been broken. It was also used in Matthew 4.21 to speak of mending nets. And you get the idea that these gifted men, these gifted evangelists, were given to the church that there might be unity, that they might equip the body of Christ, mend it to the point where it needs to be. Why? For the work of service. So you get the idea that these gifted men equip the saints. And you know what? Once the saints are equipped, they do the work of service. And when they do the work of service, it says that the body of Christ is built up. And see, too often today we put too much emphasis on the pastor. And all the pastor's job is, and that's a big job, is to teach people the Word of God that He would equip them by the means of the Word and prayer that the saints might do the work of service. And as you begin to do the work of service, it says that the body of Christ will be built up. Are you doing the work of service for Christ? They so desperately need you. Look at verse 16 of Ephesians 4. It says, From the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, 
causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When every member is working together, when every member is properly working and fitted together, then the body causes growth. And I just want to let you know that you're part of that and that the church needs you. Now let me say this, okay? That the, the growth of the church is not a result of clever methods, but of every member of the body of Christ using the diversity of gifts. You understand that? We live in a day and age where we keep looking to this methodology on the outside, how people need entertainment. And we can't minister to people in the church. No, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is, is the church isn't what the church needs to be because the church is maimed and crippled because people are refusing to get their hands dirty and get involved. And let me be, can I be real honest with you? I'm real excited that you guys went on the um, missions conference. And I know that that was very, very profitable for you. But you know what would even be greater and more encouraging? And I think that's why they have a series like this. is to see you go get in the trench and slug it out week by week and learn how to give to people in love and humility. Because you know what? It's really hard when you're working with people on a weekly basis. But that's what it takes and it, it needs you. It needs you to function. So there's unity. There's diversity. And let me just wrap this up. In the body of Christ, there's also dependence. There's dependence in the body. And the body of Christ, Jesus has designed it that we would be working together and with each other. Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I like this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, it says that there should be no division in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. To have the same care for one another. We're dependent upon each other. Verse 21 even says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, we're dependent upon each other. We're dependent upon other people in the body of Christ. And you know what, you guys, we have to fight against that, don't we? Because we, by culture and by nature, are so picking independent that we don't need anybody oftentimes. And you know what? Even here at the Master's College, I was here in the dorms as an RA. We get very, in a good way, dependent on each other. But when you get out of this place, you'll be very dependent upon the body of Christ. And he's saying there in verse 25 that we should have the same care for one another. I love what Chuck Swindoll has said so aptly concerning our generation. He said, Our aimless, lonely generation has great difficulty understanding such concepts as the interrelatedness of mankind. Thanks to the now accepted policy of many businesses to transfer a man and his family across the nation with each promotion, even the extended family bonds are now being loosened. Involvement with our roots is reduced to snapshots and phone calls at Christmas. Family reunions and seasonal rituals are nearly extinct as relatives become curious aliens to our children. All of this and much, much more, plus the inevitable irritating hassles connected with cultivating close relationships, causes us to move away from each other into our own separate houses where we isolate ourselves still further in our own separate bedrooms. We pursue a self-sufficient lifestyle that makes sharing unnecessary. 
Anonymity, cynicism, and indifference are fast replacing mutual support and genuine interest. You know, that's the way our society's going, but the body of Christ isn't made up that way. It's been made that we would be interrelated to each other and that we would be dependent upon each other for the needs that all of us have. And that's what, you know, how can we get over that? Probably that word fellowship is the word in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Did you ever look at that church there? Dave read it on Monday for us, didn't he? It's amazing to see what they had and what they did and the impact they made. And you know what? There was no building. There was no organization. There was no church, constitution, and bylaws. There was no pastor. There was not even a completed copy of scriptures. All they did was devote themselves to one another and they had true fellowship, which was koinonia. And everything they had was in common. I mean, it must have been unbelievable. I mean, do you ever wish you could go back in time and see a certain event? Sometimes I just long to see that event in Acts chapter 2. I would just love to look in and see what that New Testament church was because they had all things in common. You know, and that's where that unity comes in. When we're working together with each other, and I think oftentimes we think the church has got to go uh, win certain people this way. Look, if the church was so unified, and there was so much love, and there was so much unity, and everybody was putting other people more important than themselves, and we were all taking our individual part, do you know what? The outside world would look in and go, what is going on in there? And I'm afraid often today we get into too many techniques. And the significance of all this biblical fellowship is that it is never done alone. You ever figure that out? You can't serve alone. In order for the unity in Christ's body, the church, there must be dependence on each other and a working together as a team. And in our indifferent, preoccupied world of isolation and anonymity, it's a comfort to know that somehow all of us are linked together. We're linked together. Someone cares about us. Someone is interested. Someone notices. That's another bent of ours being involved in the body of Christ. Dr. James Dobson relates a true story of an account that he had while he was speaking at a seminary chapel. He had spoken on the need for self-esteem among men in the ministry. And one young man, he goes on to say, was brave enough to come up and admit that he was paralyzed with this fear. But that same day in the audience, there was another young man, another student with the same kind of problems. However, he did not contact Dr. Dobson at all or even send him a letter. In fact, he never even identified himself in any way to him. But three weeks after he left from speaking at that seminary chapel, that young man hanged himself in the basement of his apartment. And one of the four men with whom... That young man lived, called long distance to relate the story to Dr. Dobson. It says here, I'll pick it up for you. It says, he started deeply shaken that the dead student's roommates were so unaware of his problems that he hanged there five days in his room before he was missing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Here he was, dead, and so uninvolved were his roommates that they didn't even know. And sometimes we get so pick and independent that we think we don't need other people. And yet, we look here in the Scriptures, it says, no, you and I are dependent upon each other. And we need each other. And there's no such thing as a solo saint in the body of Christ. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers... 
all the members suffer. And with it, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You guys, I love God's church. And I think I love God's church because He pressed, He purchased it with what? His very own blood. What part will you play in it? And when you go to your local church this week, will you do me a favor? Will you know that you're there to be, to have unity? And you're there and you have a spiritual gift and you're gifted differently to be used in that body that they would share that for the common good and that you're dependent upon each other. And I just pray maybe these things as we speak of the local church will begin to impact you. Because when it's all said and done, God said that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. And we need to be people who are making a difference in it. Let's pray.